Criminal Magic, Chapter 6 Dream Time Most of the time, we only see ourselves out there. To become true seekers, we must change what's inside so that we may perceive a deeper reality. With nothing more to do than sit cross-legged on his pallet bed for hours on end, Answer allows actors from an earlier time to ease their way onto the stage of his daydreams. Their voices ring fresh in his mind, despite the years that have intervened. You are looking for me? The young woman standing in the slumping adobe doorway was oddly Asian in appearance, with a voice so faint it sounded as if she were calling from a distance. We aren't looking for anybody, Kali said, blowing her off. Answer, you suppose you get a cold beer in this place? Don't suppose there's any ice. But Answer was interested in the figure framed by the threshold. He stared up at the woman. Who are you? Well, why would we be looking for you if we don't know you? I am the one you are seeking, the woman repeated, in the unselfconscious manner of a witness noting a sunset. Kali turned toward her. Flies buzzed in his ears. He didn't bother raising his hand to brush them away. It was a waste of effort. Too hot. Listen, I'm sure whatever you're selling is great and all, but... She pulled a spare chair from against the outside wall and dragged it over to their table, seating herself in a single, smooth series of movements. Looking from one man to the other, she said, I am Luz Kawabi, your guide. Kawabi, Kali snorted. Sounds Japanese. Yes, she nodded. My father was the son of a Japanese settler in Ankash. It started like that. Within the supple wrap of her 16 years, Luz held the inherited wisdom of ancient souls. She told them about the vision her grandmother had as a girl of two young men from the north who would one day be coming to Chavin de Wantar. Seekers is what she had called them. She saw them in her vision and described them to her granddaughter as if referring to the details of a photograph. In this way, Luz had known who Answer and Kali were the moment she saw them. You are looking to enter the temple of Shavin de Wantar. And the jaguar? You have seen the jaguar, that much is clear. Answer and Kali looked at each other. There was a pause as they stopped to reassess the girl seated before them. Answer collected himself first. Oh, yeah, the temple. Lots of people are interested in it. You are not here as tourists, she said, shaking her head side to side dismissively. Tourists walk around, take pictures, drink, see the ruins, nothing more. To enter the temple, you'll need my permission. Kali coughed out a barking laugh. Come on, man, you're no older than us. What do we need your permission for? Are you shitting us? She turned to him. My grandmother's people spoke the world into being long before the Spaniards came with their poverty, plague, and ignorance, she glared. We have sung the creation song since the jaguar was not what it is now. No one can remember how long ago our women began to come to Jaguar's temple. We are the guardians of this place, so you will need my permission. Just exactly how much is this permission going to cost us? Kali simmered, his skepticism and impatience never far off. Money? She said the word with amusement. Money is not real. Think of a test rather than a cost. You must walk the canyon with me down to Rumi Chaka, the Chavin Stone Bridge and beyond. We will need to spend some days in the mountains. You will take nothing but the clothes you are wearing and some heavier things I will get for you. I will provide whatever else we need. There was no discussion of the specifics. She allowed no questions and encouraged no speculation on what might be coming. The boy's resistance evaporated 
for the simple and astonishing fact of her impenetrably resolute presence. Un jornada de descubrimiento is what she called the walk, a journey of discovery. It would prove to be all of that. Two days out, they came to the end of roads passed by wheeled vehicles. The walk from Chavin de Huantar down along the narrow irrigated shelf of the river Mosna brought them to a place where it intersected with the rumpled whitewater slurry of the Wari. They were passing through country where people increasingly spoke only Quechua, where pan verde, green bread, the local name for cocoa leaf, was chewed partly as a stimulant, partly as a poverty-driven appetite suppressant, and where the elevation provided less oxygen than a body needed, partly as a means of getting air from the lung to the limbs as efficiently as possible. People here were head down quiet and other side of the trail distant, practicing the camouflage inherited from their ancestors, which had for eons served as a protective barrier against outsiders. During their time on the trail, the three young travelers were more likely to see the shadow of a head drawn quickly back from a door or window than to see its actual owner. Strangers were not common, nor warmly welcomed. It had for centuries proved unhealthy to embrace Europeans. For long stretches, the narrow path they scrambled along paralleled a river course. Names changed at forks in the waterway or canyon inlets. Still, they were always walking along a waterway whose timeless appetites had chewed a serpentine undulation of canyon through the densest hard rock of mountain gorges. Along a good bit of the route, a shallow elevated stone canal followed beside the trail, the remnants, according to Luz, of Chavin's public waterway. It was a 3,000-year-old aqueduct without modern parallel, whose eons of service had ended only when the Spanish came and replaced everything that worked with things that were supposed to, but didn't. On the third day out from Chavin de Huantara, they stopped in a nameless spatter of shelters where they picked up supplies of circular flatbread and dried guinea pig, along with a kilo of pan verde and a bag of fried plantain. Cully wanted to buy a kilo of mani, the local peanuts. Luz forbade it outright. No good. Your body will not be able to use this where we're going. It is too high. It will make you sick. Cully grumbled. Jesus, I'm sweating like a bastard, and you say this is too high? We're in the fucking jungle. He threw down the pack he was carrying. And what about all this, this shit? If it wasn't for the bugs, we'd be better off buck-fucking naked. But here I am slogging this Eskimo shit through the jungle. What the dude? I'm with Kali, Answer broke in. He was sopping wet with sweat and getting antsy about this trek. How can we be sure she really knows what she's doing? Luz shrugged. Turn back. Let your doubts and arrogance rule you. If that is what it is, you will not enter the temple. Turning on Kali, she sneered. Ah, you are so bold, huh? So strong. Weakling. <laughs> she spat. This is the beginning of the Ceja de Selva, the jungle's eyebrow. If we were really in the jungle, you would know the difference. Turning her back on them, she moved off, dismissing them and their complaints as if the entire exchange had never happened. Tonight, you must sleep well, because tomorrow we will cross the bridge of the ancients and begin climbing. As she said it, she turned to point a long finger toward the heavens. There, far off, Scratching at the distant hem of searing blue sky, a singular snow-cloaked peak rose above its piers. That is where we are going, she said. Huantsan, the sacred mountain. 
And you will need all that Eskimo, what you call it, shit, so you might not die. As she mouthed the words, her mind reached toward her companions, laid tendrils of gentle power upon the shivering rings of unnerved feeling she sensed encircling the two. Nerves, hormones, anger, a windless lake. She withdrew, thinking, I wish you to be strong. It will be necessary. Sunday, 12.29, GMT plus 8. The interior of the data suite is identical to all other such institutional environments. Spare and clean, with an economical disdain for the interests of any particular individual. Coordinator moves to the lone chair and sits, feeling its sophisticated hydraulics accommodate her weight and body shape. Objectively, she knows it is measuring her, examining her retinas, certifying the truth of who it is it has been told will be tasking its resources. She puts in the earbuds and gestures toward the wall-scale concave screen. It is blinking insistently. Text, audio feedback. As she moves her hand across the virtual keyboard, a comfortably androgynous voice sounds. Welcome to House Master Data Pool. You are fully access configured. Illustrations of file cabinets come into view. Icons are not really necessary. This is an effect meant to preserve a measure of comfort normally absent in electronic research sectors. Coordinator commands Harrison, Lynn. One of the cabinets moves into the foreground and animates. A drawer opens. A file withdraws itself and emerges into a folder with Lynn's name prominently displayed. Coordinator says, start tab, please. A headshot and vital statistics on the man Lynn appear alongside a roster of menus, video, surveillance data, broadcasts of corporate events featuring him as a speaker, recipients of awards, records of classified MobX documents, complimentary and corporate espionage files from competitors, general physical data, phone calls, personal communiques with intimates. The list is lengthy. Popular guy. Whoa, she pauses the flow. A death certificate floats in the current status bar. Coordinator raises her eyebrows and selects the item. No one informed her there was a confirmation on target status. Not that it's a surprise, given the circumstances. Quickly scanning the certificate, she notes with amusement the cause of death is listed as auto accident. Adept folks over at ModX PR. After reading the remainder of Lynn's vitals, coordinator types in a series of queries, focusing on the interrelations between ModX and its major rivals, looking for the most likely sources of conflict. According to House's records, BP Royal Shell has had their eyes on Lynn for some time, but no serious discussions were ever pursued. Perhaps someone at BPRS was a bit put out. They couldn't lure him over, decided that no competition was better than good competition. Coordinator tracks down a subset of data on internecine warfare between the petroleum transnationals, but there's no record of a break in the ranks. They've maintained a remarkably united front, but then House isn't aware of everything, just most things. Perhaps there's something the collectives have missed in their recent corporate analysis. Still, something about the situation at hand doesn't fit. If BPRS, or anybody else for that matter, had one in Lynn dead, why not just put out a hit? Why go the extra mile to make it look like a corporate kidnapping? And why use a collective to do the job? Something isn't tracking. 
coordinator puzzles to herself. There's gotta be another factor at play. At the back of her mind, the memory of the hotel hit squad rustles like nails on vellum. Facts are like jigsaw pieces whose shapes don't fit any available holes. Perhaps they belong to another puzzle entirely. Coordinator flexes long fingers and keys a sequence requesting a hard copy of Lynn's vitals and all the petroleum transnet's recent activities, then closes the data stream. Too many questions on that front and too many answers for her liking. Tapping back to the main data menu, she types a single word, answer. A slew of links appears on the screen and the voice of her headset asks her to refine the search. Finally, after a few missteps and a pointless diversion to an early 2000s professional basketball data set, she gets the piece she's after. The folder title reads, answer, collective member, functional alias, prime ID undetermined. Coordinator taps on the tab. The data is extremely light by house standards. A few hard facts and a lot of speculative links. Birthplace, Western US, research determined prime location, undetermined. Citizenship, Colombian. Alternates are also Panama, St. Kitts, Nevis. Language proficiency, English, prime, Spanish, functional fluency. Residence, Colombia, prime location, undetermined. Photo, unavailable. Reported features, approximately two meters, 70 to 80 kilograms, dark complected perhaps, research indicates Southern European extraction, associations, prime undetermined, subject has proved resourceful. Well, no shit, coordinator thinks to herself. He's still alive, right? She orders hard copy on the meager data as well and then calls up word processing software and some down-tempo audio to begin composing her report for the secretary. Dream time. Altitude presses at every body system. At 3,000 meters, Answer's heart is pumping vigorously to maintain the flow of blood to limbs and lungs, both of which demand increased volumes of oxygen. Above 5,500 meters, his thoughts begin to flex and flow in nonlinear pathways, causing his mind to bend to the increasingly dominant influence of toxic carbon dioxide. Lactic acid builds in the fittest muscles, painfully accreting in dense tissues. At 6,000 meters, even bulletproof adolescents will come face to face with the possibility of death by exposure, embolism, or ordinary bad judgment. Answer gasps for breath. Each step has become a separate project with three components. Beginning, suck in abdomen and throw weight forward in order to pull the lagging leg and boot free of icy snow. Middle, Desperately grab a lungful of what passed for air and hurl your shoulder, hip, and arm in the direction of the next footfall while slinging your leg forward with all your might. End. Chosen foot plants itself, almost defying your will in the concrete-like snow cap, once again trapping you into repeating the whole miserable process. When will we get there? The question emerges as a cough-like wheeze. Lose whose body seems to waver in the crackling cold air less than a meter ahead, does not turn. Offers no response. Did she ignore me? He cannot say for certain. Did I say it out loud? Again, uncertainty. He tries again, this time shouting, concentrating on making sure his mouth opens. Lose! Lose! Finally, she turns to look back. When will we get there? Lose stops, squinting to see the reddening windburn of Answer's face the plodding bow of Collie's back slightly behind, 
She steps downhill to see what Answer needs. Are we close? Answer shouts as loud as he could. To where? Luz sees the question as an irrelevance. Kali struggles up, lurching to a stop into their closed world. Dude, he gasps, gulping as much fictive air as he can. This is an ass whipping. This is the time. Luz knows it. Will you follow me? The question invites the possibility of refusal, of failure. There is no other course. Silence, as if the torrent, the life-sucking river of wind is miraculously shut off. Three people stand leaning into each other like teepee poles, held upright only through interdependence. Will you? Kali, a serious frine fixed to his beaten face, breaks the stalemate. Climb on, dude. It is done. For the first time since they have met her, Answer and Kali see a smile break Luz's face. No wind mask, no impermeable layering of wool can block the wrinkles of pleasure that pull at her eyes. 200 meters further, they step onto a patch of granite cobbles that slopes down and across the mountain face like an edgy stain spreading from a spill. Ahead, an abrupt vertical headwall juts 30 meters up, the physical fact of it completely denying any possibility of passage short of an attack with ropes and gear. Invigorated, the wind slams into the overhanging block, bouncing back into the faces of the climbers it has just battered from behind. When they come within 60 meters of the overhanging face, Luz stops. Sheer granite plaque, stone burnished to a near polish by eons of punishing weather, looms over the trio. Luz leans into the punishing blow and lurches off to the left, leading her followers toward the shoulder of the mountain, which appears to drop off into a thousand-meter chasm. As they approach the horizon, a blotchy dark patch appears at the base of the cliff. Within a few strides, they stand in the lee of an oddly shaped hollow at the toe of the stony headwall buttress. Answer is chilled to his core. Socking and beating on him, the twist of shearing wind shrieks at his reason, demanding he consider backing down from a quest whose very objective is vague at best. His head shouts, demanding a reasonable audience. What are you here for? Goddamn boy, get off this fucking hill. He turns it off, looks away from the voice in his head, steps back from the beat and shrill demands of alternate selves warring for attention, importance, dominion. Eyes closed, pulling away from all but the rhythmic sound of his own breathing, he centers on nothingness. Then he hears the voice of his friend. Whoa, Kali moans. Answer opens his eyes to a blizzard. It is not snow. An arm's length away, dithering rafts of pinkish white blossoms float on the heavens. The three of them are rooted in place, watching as an impossible perfumed curtain of spring petals drifts along the mountain's face. Wind is gone, cold is gone. An enormous cherry tree, its simple presence making it seem to be grown in another dimension, dominates their view. Moments ago, no living thing was visible on the bleak mountain scarp. Now, powerful roots fracture solid rock jacking blocks of granite apart with their enormous pressure. A tangle of gnarled, outsized limbs sags, swaying under the sheer weight of scented flowers. Answer's amazement is transcendent. Luz turns to them and says, We can go now. Sunday, 1536, GMT plus 8.
Coordinator sits in the darkened data suite, listening to the machine recite back her report. As it finishes, she pulls up the text once again, makes a few sparse changes. That done, she encrypts the report and sends it to the secretary's inbox. Then she sends a hard copy to the printer just in case he doesn't have time to read it, which seems exceedingly likely, before their meeting. The secretariat is a rotating position within the collective organization, and the prospect of holding it is not exactly cherished by many. It is a thankless job dealing with the intersection of crime, politics, and charity. The current occupant of the post, an old friend named Karanjit Singh, is a perfectionist, and perfectionists in the secretary's job are notoriously overstressed and time-strapped. As the last sheet rolls off the printer, there is a polite knock on the door of the suite. Come ahead, Ovi. No need to stand on ceremony. I'm ready. The door opens smoothly, and Ovi sticks his head in, looking significantly more harried than he had earlier. The secretary's returned, Ovi said. He's expecting you at your earliest convenience. Then lead on, coordinator smiles, tapping the pages from the printer together to organize them. They move down the hall to a waiting lift. Once they've cleared the lower floors, windows open onto dramatic vistas of Macau Harbor. As the elevator doors open, it seems as if they've been transported to an entirely new building. The upper floors of the house bear all the hallmarks of modern architecture and construction in shocking contrast to the old colonial interiors of the original structure that comprises the lower levels. The views from each window are spectacular, and the use of new carbon construction, whose weight-bearing beams are so slight they defy credulity, lends a sense of light airiness to the structure that might give some a touch of vertigo. Coordinator steps over to one of the massive panes and stops for a moment, taking in the outlandish view below. Macau spills out in all directions. Even the narrow strait between the island and mainland is molested by the city's aggressive expansion as blunt quays, strapped together by miles of flexing walkway, compose a flotilla of sea-level adjusting platforms upon which low-rise construction is being built, daily enlarging the tax base. Just amazing. The half-whisper is not intended for anyone in particular. I find it so as well, says Ovi. It is a marvel of... Let's say Enterprise and leave it at that, Coordinator grimaces as she turns to resume strolling toward the paneled doors at Hallway's End. With the increasing frequency and severity of typhoons in the China Sea, she thinks, all of what we've just seen seems astronomically wrong-headed. How, she wonders, can city planners be so aware of impending disaster and so oblivious to it at the same time? The answer is simple. Humans are involved. The meeting area is furnished with a spare, round, well-lighted table. Ovi motions coordinator toward the seat. Please wait for just a moment, he says. I'll fetch Mr. Singh. She sits down and opens her laptop on the table, spreading out the files of data she's collected so far. Momentarily, a slight, stooped, wiry man rounds the corner. My dear, my dear, such a pleasure to see you, he says. I'd prefer it if you could come visit sometime without such serious business. He waves a slight hand in whimsical dismissal, but then wishes are like air. She rises and gives the secretary a warm hug. Relaxation just doesn't seem to be in my repertoire, now does it, Kieran? You would know better than I. Are you comfortable? Has Ovi looked after you properly? His tone is amused. He seats himself and takes in the spread of documents and files littering the table. 
I suppose the agenda for our meeting is before me here somewhere, so shall we get down to business? I understand we may have some important information to exchange. Sitting down, she passes a copy of her report to the secretary and launches into a narrative of the last few days. Dream time. Luz, Answer, and Kali lay stacked front to back on a pallet of straw inside an abandoned mud hut at the base of the mountain, bundling against the intrusively cold night air as best they can. I had six years and was still in the house of my mother in Ankash when my grandmother began telling me about Jaguar and Cayman, said Luz. They are ancient enemies, these two, Cayman and Jaguar. Cayman is always searching for ways to deceive those who serve the Jaguar. But the Cayman and his allies cannot touch the tree that takes root where there can be no tree, cannot see the snow that is not snow. They cannot reach that place, and so it is that we can divine the honest seekers from impostors. When I was a little girl, I did not fully understand what my grandmother meant when she told me these things. When you find someone to guide, she said, that opens up a path for you as well. Then she put her hands on me, one on my chest and one on my head. Close your eyes, child, she said. I will give you what you need. I felt a warm light seeping into my head, but I never knew what it was that she did. Great, but exactly what was up with that tree, Kali muttered. I can't get that thing on the mountain out of my head. I know now that you are not deceivers. Sent by the Cayman, Luz mutters. We can now return to Shavimantara and enter the temple. There we will find answers as well as new questions. You are tripping, Kali said. After what happened today, and without drugs, dude, drug-free, know what I'm saying? I'm not 100% on whether hanging with you is the great idea. Springtime, showing up in the Arctic, that whole thing just makes me nervy, you know? Nervy, man. It is as I have already seen, she breathed. If you are to find what you seek, you must return to Chavin. We will wait there until the jaguar finds us. Answer listened in silence. He knew what his friend meant. Nervy? That wasn't the half of it. What he'd seen and felt convinced him that they were onto something that was likely to get far more mysterious and a lot more dangerous before it was over. He lay quietly, listening to the rhythm of their collective breathing. They were in the company of what seemed to him like a mystic, a self-reported seer who had already taken them to a place very far removed from any experimentation they'd ever done, drug-free. What would a drug trip be with this girl guiding them? What could we learn, and what would the lessons cost? Sleep did not come easily with the cold still seated deep in their bones. The promise of revelation conspired to keep the trio's uncertain minds balanced on the anxious filament of fiction that separates dream and wakefulness.
We will be back next week with Chapter 7 of Criminal Magic. Please leave a review if you like what you hear, and tell some friends about this podcast. Thank you for listening.